Welcome to Pipeline Church, where saved people serve people, found people find people, and growing people change. We're here to introduce people to Jesus and help them become fully committed followers of Christ by doing life together, being irrationally generous, and being the church that the world desperately needs us to be. Welcome home. Hey, welcome to Pipeline Church. It's good to see you. Yay. Happy fall. Not really. It's fake fall. It's fake fall. It's almost here. It's almost here. We had a couple 90 degree days. It's all, I had to wear a coat, one of them. I was so cold. I didn't know what to do. Um, I hope you're excited and ready for what God is wanting to do in and through your life and through your family in this fall. And you saw by the little bumper video and the new graphic, we're on a new series of teaching and it starts today. This is called Family Matters. Not the 90s Urkel Urkel version, right? Did I do that? That's not what we're here for. The idea is that family really matters and uh, that it makes a huge impact in our lives. And so over the next number of weeks, we're just going to look at what it means to be part of and uh, living life together as family. And you might be sitting here thinking, wow, finally, my family's in bad shape. I'm going to finally get them fixed up. I don't, I don't, I can't perform miracles. I'm just going to tell you, like, we'll just trust Jesus for that, all right? But what I will say is we're going to give uh, a few really encouraging things that can lead you in a path and in a direction, hopefully, that will point you in the right place to go. I think everybody has the idea um, when uh, they're in family and, and experiencing family that they want it to go really well, right? There, there's very few people that start out like, yeah, I'm here to blow this whole ship up, Right? That, that doesn't happen typically, but some of us have been handed some pretty gnarly scenarios. And so the idea of this is whether you have a family that you're happy to talk about or that you avoid at family gatherings, um, this is for you. And, and maybe you're sitting here and you're like, well, Pastor Jeff, I'm, I'm single or I'm, I'm away from my family or I don't have anybody that I'm super connected to. Well, that's also uh, this is also for you, because I want you to see how the body of Christ can stand in and become that lifeline for you and that hope for you in the midst of some difficult times. And and we're aware, like, uh, for instance, we have conversations around here all the time. We We have a lot of babies around here. I don't know if you knew that. And it's not like they just show up on their own. Okay, it's not like there's just, you know, babies strolling in, you know, that like boss baby or whatever. Um, th- this is really like, some of you, thank you for that, noticing that. Um, but this is really something like, we believe in family here. Um, I actually was at an alliance gathering for our denomination. Some of you are like, we're in a denomination. We can talk about that later. But it was a bunch of pastors all gathered around and they asked me to speak about our church. And they said, you've got just a couple minutes to share about Pipeline Church. And, and so remember now, when I'm sharing with other churches, our church is eight years old. We're just a wee little baby, right? We look big, but we're young right? And, and I'm talking to pastors who are at churches that have been around for like 150 years. No joke. There was a pastor who was pastoring a church that's 150 years old. I talked to the person next to me. Our church is 50 years this year. I talked to the person over here. Our church is 75 years old. And then I get up there and we little baby church Jeff is talking to all of these people. 
And I said, look, we just had this big picture in mind and this big plan in mind that we were going to start a church for kids and students that we allow adults to come to. And you should have seen people there like right on the edge of their chair. And I said, so here's the thing. Like, how many of you struggle with people in your churches? And this is all pastors and elders, right? So they're going to identify with me. With people complaining about the music or the bathrooms or the this and the that. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, guess what? We don't have any of that. And they go, what? And I said, if anybody complains, I just said, this is a church for kids and students that we allow you to come to. We didn't create it for you. Have a great day. <laughs> and, and, and they're like... Do you get away with that? I said, well, we still got like four people giving in the offering, which is great. <laughs> and, and here's the idea. Like if you came to church hoping to see like, okay, I'm going to become somber and you know, I'm going to remember this is a church for kids and students that we allow adults to come to. So we want to look at the world through the eyes of our kids and our students because they see things a whole lot better. I don't know if you noticed this, but you ever have your kids point out something about you that you're not very proud of? Yeah. Um, this morning, as my normal ritual, I got up about 5.30 this morning. I uh, prepared my headphones, noise cancelers, as if I needed that because no one in my house is up at that time. I went down to my jacuzzi, which was preheated and ready for me, running, bubbling, delightfully going. I sat down, I have an iPad, I have my phone for my worship tunes, I'm going to just study, get into the word, I'm going to really navigate this. And my daughter last night had a, uh, a, a neon party, a big, a big dance for the school. And so Cindy and the girls were taking pictures out in front of the house, and I turned on my iPad, and what do I find? is a picture of me in a very unflattering position, scratching my butt in the front yard, and my daughters had turned that into the home screen of my iPad. The problem is, I don't know how to get rid of it. And so thank you, Rowan, for jacking up my life. So now if you're wondering, why is he sucking it in so hard? It's because of that picture, all right? Kids will jack you up, but I want us to see the world through the eyes of our kids, the eyes of our students, just not those two over there, because they're terrible humans. I'm raising terrorists in my home. This is the guy, one man in my house. Even my dogs are female, all right? <sighs> Pray for me later. We'll just, I'll meet the team up here. So here's the thing. We are going to, over the next couple of weeks, just look and say, okay, so how do we live as family? How can we see our world in a way that God wants us to see it? How can we live our lives pursuing him and him alone, first and foremost? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had a really hard time and you need a prayer. Um, I remember uh, one of the, the things that uh, raising my kids... Um, I, we hit some tough moments and the girls would come and say, daddy, why are you sad? Cause little girls recognize when you're sad, little boys, they don't know about that, right? Little boys are like, dad, can I hit you in the stomach or the privates right now? That's, that's what they think about, right, Anthony? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so here's the thing. They're like, daddy, are you sad? I'm like, well, I'm having a hard day. Coolest thing in my life. And obviously they don't do this anymore. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, they'll say, dad. Even when they were little, can we pray for you? Ooh. 
I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but, but I'll tell you what. If you take me to a service and people say, come down for prayer, and there's five-year-olds praying, I'm all in, right? Because the faith of children makes such a big difference. Now, we won't bring in the five-year-olds for our prayer team today. We do actually have grown people who will be praying for you at the end of service. But I do want to encourage you, let's start looking at the world a little bit differently, um, th- there's things, um, and you may recognize this in your life. You ever, um, when you're growing up, you hear those things that your parents say, like little phrases or little admonishments, and you stormed away as a kid from your parents or grandparents or aunt or uncle or whoever's kind of your authority figure, and like, I will never say that to my kids. I will never say that when I get older. And then you hear yourself say it at some point, and you're like, what happened? What, what, what happened? Right? I even was talking to a guy and he was like, my, my grandma only spoke Spanish. And he was like, I remember like saying something to my kids and then flipping over to Spanish and sounding like my abuelita. Right? And he was like, what? How did this happen? He was like, I didn't mean to. It just soaked into me. And, and there's certain things in our life that we take on. I, I, I think though too, not just the things that our families say, but also things that they do. I don't know, some of the, the rituals or some of the things on the regular. I will tell you, every Sunday afternoon at Jeff Atherton's home, growing up with the Atherton family, we were forced to take Sunday afternoon naps. Now, when you're young, that is like water torture. That is like the worst thing imaginable is like, okay, boys. I mean, there were three of us, so obviously my parents need a break. That's why they set us for naps, right? They're like, head to your places. We'll let you know when it's time to get up. And we would just sit there. Like, why? I got so much energy. I don't know what to do. I would take a stack of, like, you know, your books and, you know, all kinds of things to do and, and whatever during the nap time. And I hated it. Now, if somebody told me you can eat food, and then just sleep as long as you would like. That's like freaking Christmas, y'all. Like, that's literally what my family did for me for Father's Day and my birthday. They're like, hey, we're going to cook a big steak. You're going to feel a little heavy, and then you're going to take a nap. And I'm like, well, I already feel heavy most of the time, so that would be good. But, but I'll just take that, and I'll do that. That's my dream scenario. But then there's other things, too. That, uh, you know, kind of our family traditions or, or things that maybe you've picked up along the way. And we recognize it's not just what we say, and it's not just our traditions, but also some of us find ourselves in places we never thought we would find ourselves. For instance, financially, you find yourself in a bit of a hole. You find yourself in a situation, you, you can't pay the bills, or you're, you're missing out on this, or, or you can't go on that trip, and you think back like, Well, my family never did these kind of things. That's why I'm not allowed to do those kind of things. Or or maybe you're in conversation and you recognize that things escalated real quickly. I don't know. You're probably mild-mannered people who don't ever have this happen where uh, the conversation starts off and all of a sudden it jumps to, I may murder you right now. You better leave the room. And then we say things like, well, you just don't understand. In my family, this is how we resolved our problems. My, my parents would yell, and, and that's how I picked up what I do, right? I, I do this because my parents did this, or, or I did this. My parents behave like this in this situation, so that's why I do what I do. And a lot of the time, 
We point back to those things, and that becomes the crutch for why we're a broken person today. I'm not going to get into that yet. It's coming. Some of you are like, okay, note not to attend that day, right? But here's the thing. We don't live purely 100% in the shadow of our upbringing. But there are also those of us who have been imparted amazing gifts by our families. We have been given gifts of of peace and prosperity and joy and privilege and opportunity. And, and there's things that from every walk of life, from every place, people find themselves going, I thank my family for setting me up well. I think every time a parent holds their son or daughter in their arms for the very first time, you start thinking of the gifts you want to give them, the blessings you want to pour out on them. I remember even when we got home and, and for all the years, and now I kind of creepily do it, um, but, but just going into my children's room when they were still asleep and just praying over them and just saying, God bless them, encourage them, calling them by name and asking for very specific things in their life and knowing when they're hurting that they need something that God wants to provide. Now my kids are like, oh my gosh, he is watching us when we're asleep. <laughs> but, but we want to give blessings. And this morning, as we start this series, I want to start off with something uh, that, that actually is in the very, very, very beginning of the Old Testament of the Bible. And, and it's not Genesis, okay? In the beginning there was, no, not like that. It's actually a segment of scripture where the children of Israel were having the opportunity to experience a huge life change. And there was something introduced into their life that they carry on and they literally even carry it on to this very day. It's a prayer called the Shema. And the Shema is, is a unique thing to the children of Israel. It's, it's found in, in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11, and Numbers 15. You don't have to go to each and every one of those. We will get to Deuteronomy 6 in just a moment. But it's in that opening section of Deuteronomy. And here's the scene that's being set. Moses, you guys know Moses, part of the waters. Moses is addressing the children of Israel. And he's not just addressing um, the, the general group. He's actually, it's a very unique time. See, you remember the, the children of Israel were released from G Egypt. And, and they were sent out and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Well, part of the reason for their wandering in the desert for 40 years is God said, the people that I released from there will not enter the promised land because of their disobedience. And he caused them to wander for 40 years. Literally, the trip should have only taken a matter of weeks or maybe a month at the most. But it ended up taking 40 years. And an entire generation of people were wiped off the planet. And now their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren were about to inherit the promise that they had been given. 
And, and here's the, the setup for this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, you find Moses, and he's literally pleading with this new generation, this younger generation. And he's saying, I know you don't wear the pleated khakis like your parents used to back in the day. No, he didn't say Some of you are like, they had pleated khakis? No, it's okay. It's just my humor. Sad. All right. He's pleading with them to not repeat the mistakes of their parents in the previous generation. And, and he's saying, I, I want you to experience the full blessing that is there for you in the promised land. But, but to do so, you have to learn to listen and to love God above everything else. Because somewhere in your family line, your parents got turned aside. This message from Moses would come to the children of Israel as both an admonishment, like a direction, and also a fresh breath of air to say, you do not have to pay for the sins of your parents. You can walk in newness of life, and you can see something different because God has a promise and a plan for you. There's some of you, that maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning. Maybe it's just hearing. You don't have to make the same mistakes that have come before you. You don't have to walk in the same line. You don't have to do the same thing. You can be a new creation in him, walking in his glory, in his presence, in his promise for your life. And he declares that over our lives today. As we come into this, I'm going to read This passage of scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this is how the beginning of Moses' direction to the people begins. Listen, Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then he begins to give instruction. We're going to focus on this opening passage. That first section there, um, the, the, the first bit that I read, hear, O Israel, listen, O Israel. This is a section that every uh, uh, Jewish home, if they are practicing their faith and following in, even to today, would declare that every morning and every evening. In fact, a good uh, Israelite home back in the Old Testament, they would gather around and they would hold hands and they would declare, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And they would do that morning and evening as a reminder of their source and their strength. I want to tell you and remind you just off of this today, and this is kind of a big statement, that life is made up of daily decisions that lead to the big moments. And that's why family 
matters. That's why starting in your home with your faith matters. It's not something that you just show up to church, throw your kids into the really cool kids ministry, and they'll, they'll do their things, and they'll hear the stuff, and then you show back up at home, and everything should be fixed. No, no, everything begins inside. Everything begins here with you and me and the tone of our home. Now, now let's just understand this. We have things that we learn from our families, the both good and bad. And I don't want to uh, minimize any of those things. I don't want to minimize pain or, or minimize the great joy and celebration that comes from the gifts that we've been given. But I do want to say that God has something that he wants from us today. For his purpose and for his glory. And, and here's something interesting that I found just over my time as a pastor and studying sociology, psychology, and everything else-ology. What you'll understand and what you'll see is that every individual and every household in the world share these three things in common. You ready for what they are? They're in your notes. One, they share a principle. They share a principle. I'll get back to that in a second. They share a practice and they share a pursuit. Now, your household might be a bunch of people. We got kids and people in this church that have seven kids. Hallelujah. Right? And it may be just you in your studio apartment or whatever. But whatever place you find yourself, every household, every family, every unit gathered has three things in common. A principle, a practice, and a pursuit. We're going to walk through those. The first one is this, when, when the, the scripture opens up, he says, listen, O Israel, the Lord our, is our God, the Lord alone. That's it. And this would be my, my first note for you. You want to know what the principle is in this text? The principle is there can only be one. There can only be one. This is also the theme for a 1980s, early 90s movie called Highlander, but we're not going into that, all right? But there can only be one. There's, there's one principle that we carry, and for some homes, it's this. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Lord our God is one, the Lord alone. For many, that's what it looks like, but for others, it takes on all kinds of different things. The principle in many homes is the pursuit of comfort, right? Comfort is our goal. Comfort is where we want to live. For others, and, and nobody wants to say it out loud, but we all kind of know when it happens, finances and financial security. How about just looking good to the rest of the world? One of the things I, I joke when people come in, I'm like, how are you doing? They're like, I'm doing fine. I'm like, well, you look good, and that's what counts. It doesn't matter how you feel inside. It's just how you look on the outside that counts when you come to church. The truth of it is, it really does matter what's going on inside of us. And the principle of our life is known in how we live out our life. See, see Moses was saying, okay, listen, Israel, the Lord is our God, and he is the only one. This is the principle we have to live by. We live for him. And he says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That's literally every facet of your life. 
well, yeah, but, you know, I need, I, I need some me time. Jeff, you know, you don't, like, you don't know my life. Like, I, I, can, give him, I can give God my, my heart and I can give him my soul, but sometimes I got to take my strength and do some things, you know? Sometimes I got to take myself outside of this, and sometimes I, my passions lead me in other directions. And this is what Moses was saying. Your passions can have nothing else when your principal guiding point of your life is God is the one true God. It says, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now, this may sound familiar to you if you know a little bit of Jesus' story from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But there was a section of scripture that's recorded, and Jesus is having a conversation where they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him. And they say, okay, so if this is all true and, 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 and you're a real good teacher and this is great, but if you're really the son of God, then, then can you help us understand one thing? What's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And, and, and this is how they would teach and how they would trick each other back in the day. And Jesus responded with the Shema. You should love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength oh but by the way you got to love your neighbor as yourself jesus was able to remind people that that's recorded again and again through the text and the gospels and and even jesus lived by this model see the, the big picture is that loving god with all your heart is is at the greatest the greatest and highest honor and priority the depth of our relationship with god is extremely important and it happens on a day-to-day basis not just a big moment by big moment basis see we usually don't call out to god until we feel like we need god (laughs) and then we go oh god i need you right we identify with that we turn on all of a sudden it goes over to spirit radio right? You're listening for a song. Please play. I can only imagine right now because I need that for my soul, right? We laugh, we cry, we fall in love all over again. We get over it. Why? Because we need him. But, but it happens uh, on, on a startup basis right there with what's your principle? What's at your core? The, the idea of, of having a family that's rooted around one common thing, and that is a love for God. At everything that we do is probably one of the greatest gifts you could give your family. To measure everything you do, to say, does that show your love for the Lord? Does this show your love for the Lord? Or does this show greed? Or does this show your pain? Or does this show your need for self-promotion? Or is this love for God? Additionally, it says, commit yourselves wholeheartedly to God, not just hearing it, but doing everything that he has declared for you. Taking it to heart. See, it's easy to sit and listen to it. I love it when people say, mm, pastor, that was so good. But I even love it more when people come back and say, this is how it affected my life from here on out. See, God's commandments shape our family's values. And his very beginning was God can only, there's only place for one. And it's got to be him. In John 14, 21, Jesus was recorded saying this. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. 
And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each one of them. He's saying, hey, remember that original thing, like love God and him alone? Let's go all in on that. I need you to, if you want me to know your name at the end of the day. The second thing is practice, right? Uh, Discipleship in everyday moments. That's what was declared The practice is the everyday little decisions along the way. He said it like this, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you are getting up. For some of us, the recentering of our lives around the presence of God needs to take place. Because we get busy. Anybody have a busy life? Raise your hand if you got a busy life. If some of you, you're too busy to raise your hand. I, this is embarrassing. Also, white people don't respond very often in church. So, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, cutting you, right? Now, here's the idea. We're all busy. Like the number of times that I ask people, how are you doing? Oh, just so busy, right? Oh, here's your badge. Have a great day, busy person, right? <laughs> Thank you. Now we laugh. Nobody gets that. You don't get a prize for being busy. And yet we seem to want to be more and more busy. And this is what God says. I can be the, I have to be the number one. And in addition, every little thing in your life needs to circle around what I have told you and what this is all about. In fact, when you're talking to your kids, conversation should be flavored with my word. When you're having these things, you should be teaching them the stories of their faith. You should be pouring into their lives. And I know for some of us, we're like, I'm just trying to make it through and hope my kids get a more nutritious meal than macaroni and cheese out of the box. But for real, he says, when you wake up, And when you go to bed, you should be talking about me. You should be thinking about me because it's impressing it on our kids. It's discipling them in the everyday moments. It's the little things every day that take place. Teaching them from the greatest values to the smallest of things matter to God. That's where it all begins. It's, it's not just the principle of we love God in this house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? That's a good song, and I sang it really oddly. That was in our wedding, by the way. Props. Yeah. Just a little shout out, just a little love from the stage, you know. But the idea is this. It's not just a sign that, that you see when you walk in the house. This house reserved for the presence of God. It's a daily practice. You know the number of people that drive with the fish on the back of their car and still flip people off on the freeway? (laughs) Jesus got angry too, okay? At least I wasn't flipping tables over. Just using my fingers language, right? But, But the idea is what do you do in the littlest moments, in the moments where you're like, oh, I shouldn't have gone there? And then how do you repent? See, it's when you do something or say something to your kids or or you act out to somebody at work and then you come back and you say, I'm sorry because I've got a leading principle in my life that God is the one true God of my life and I reacted in a way that did not reflect that. And my practice didn't match what I am principled on. And so I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? The number of people that actually do that in culture is like, 0.1%. 
0.00001%. How much more could we change the world if we were actually the church we claim to be? Just throwing it out there. How about this? Pursuit. A determined action that leads to an intended goal. That's what we're talking about. I want to set my actions in a way that lead to a a very, very directly intended goal. I want to say, okay, God, this is what you want from me. This is what I want to do. This is what it said in this scripture. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. The Post Malone status, right? Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is all about the action, the pursuit of an intended goal. Symbolic reminders, like putting it on your hand. What do you work with? Your hands, typically. The uh, proverb says, idle hands. There you go. Thank you, Adele. Right? The idle hands create problems. You got to keep working. So when you go to work, tie it to your wrist. Mark it on your hands. Now, it'd be weird if you're a dentist because then stuff falls in people's mouths and all that. But, but the big picture of this is why don't you put it in a place where your work is being done, where every thought comes from. Make sure it all emanates from him. And how about this? The idea of writing them on your doorposts and the gates. It's the picture of every time you're leaving your home, you are covered under the banner of knowing whose you are and what you're here to do. This is his glory revealed in us. This is what he wants from us. And the symbols are so significant. The symbols of our life dedicated to him. Not only, not only am I in a place where I'm looking to the Lord saying, you are my principle, you are the one, but also saying you are going to be my practice. My everyday little tiny moments, but then you're going to be my pursuit. When I leave the house, I don't check my coat at the door and say, my God stuff stays at home and I'm out to do this. See, I, I've been in this community a long time and, and there, there was numbers of times that I've run into people in the community and, and they say, well, uh, what do you do? And I say, well, I, I'm a pastor. I don't usually give that up real quick because I like it when it gets uncomfortable because they've been cussing around me and stuff. But, but I'll say, I'm a pastor. And they say, oh, well, yeah, I know some Christians right? The problem is the Christians that I know are usually the most terrible business people. They treat people horribly. Like I expect this out of them and then they do this. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, the, I, I can name for you three people in our community that have cheated me the very worst in business. And they're all people who go to church every Sunday. And they declare that God is their one God. And here's what I would say. Let's become people that are not just about the principle. They're not just saying, oh yeah, I'm going to make sure that you're, I'm going to put it into practice in our home. But, but then as well that we're people of pursuit. That that means wherever we go, he goes with us in his presence. To be people of pursuit, we need to carry through with some symbolic things to remind us of who we are and what we are. And you may have noticed this morning, I'm doing a magic trick. I've got communion in my hand. Ooh, like be impressed, right? But we have set up stations 
around the church so that you and I could participate in the symbolic remembrance of the gift of Jesus Christ for our lives. We come to the table of communion and we recognize that in this little chalice, this is not magical, okay? There's a little wafer of bread and there's a little bit of juice in here. If you didn't eat breakfast, this won't fill you up, all right? But what it will do is remind you that the body of Christ was given for you, broken for you. And that the blood of Christ was shed on the cross. I can't even imagine. Like when, when you understand and realize how gruesome crucifixion actually was, there had to be blood everywhere. And I began, when I was learning about that and kind of taking that in as a, a student and a younger pastor, I remember at a couple moments just thinking, why such a gross, why such a bloody scenario, why? And then it was as if God dropped something in my mind and said, have you seen your life? It takes a lot of blood to cover that up. And I gave it so that you could live, so that you could experience truth. So that you would no longer have to walk in the darkness that you were raised in or that you had brought yourself to. It says on the night that he was to be betrayed, Jesus, with all of his disciples gathered around, took the bread. His bread was much bigger. He broke it. And he says, take this. And every time you get ready to eat this, I want you to remember my body that would be broken for you as a sacrifice for you, that you might be able to be whole, that you might be rescued. And it says he took the cup. Coolest part about the cup is actually at that time in the meal was a specific cup that, that was called the cup of invitation. There's a lot of different translations for that, but literally symbolizing that this table is open to anyone who is in need. And he took that cup and he says, and every time you drink out of this cup, every time you drink the fruit of the vine, I want you to remember my blood that will be shed for you. And it's not just because it needs to spill blood, but it's because my blood is the only thing that rescues you from your sin. So not only did I give my life, but I gave the very life force that flows through my body, my blood. So that you wouldn't have to walk in sin anymore. That you could be set free. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to ask the band to make their way to lead us during this time. And at Pipeline Church, we do this kind of, I don't know why we picked up doing it this way, but it really just kind of fits kind of who we are and what we believe. During this time, what I'm going to ask you to do is there's two tables up front. There's three tables across the back, and if you need a gluten-free option, there's a gluten-free option in the middle table in the back, all right? Don't want to get anybody sick today. But, but what we're going to do is we're just going to take a moment to look into our own hearts and ask God, God, is there something inside of me that you want to clean up, that you want to renew? Maybe it's going back to the very beginning of this message where you ask yourself, is my principle, is, is my one thing God and his spirit? 
Maybe you're looking and saying, maybe it's my practice. God, what about my practice do you need and want from me? What do you desire from my life and my everyday, every moment, little details, practice? Maybe it's saying, God, is my pursuit, am I taking you out? Search me, oh God. Look into my heart. Make me into your image. Give me what you desire of your presence, but even more, clean me. Make me more in your image every day. And what you'll do is, once you've had a moment with the Lord to just surrender to him, find your way to one of the stations, and then you can join as a family or you can do it individually. Take the bread and receive it. And pray and thank God for his gift of grace to you in the body of Christ that was given for you. And maybe you take the blood, also known as grape juice. And even as you receive it, God, forgive me of the places where I have let you down. But what we're doing is we're taking this symbolic moment, this symbolic thing. And, and we're doing what Jesus said, as often as you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Remembering pursuit is taking him out. Practice is what you do in the little moments. And the principle is built on him and him alone. So let's take a few moments just to declare his goodness in our individual lives and say, God, we're yours today. So I'm going to pray. They're going to start singing. And you do what you got to do and receive communion. And I'm going to tell you, if you're not a believer here this morning, please don't go. <laughs> this isn't just a snack time. This is huge. This is our remembrance. This is our, the symbol of our every moment life that we sacrifice to him. So let's pray. God, I pray right now, in this moment, in your presence, we want you to be the principle, the practice, and the pursuit. We want you to cover every bit of it. We want you to be the one who leads and guides our life. And we surrender to you today. Father, I pray in these moments that you would help us to understand your sacrifice. We would repent We would lay down all the things that we are and we desire for your glory, that you might be known as the one true God. Father, we praise you. We thank you. And we thank you for these moments where we can remember and believe. And if you are here today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you know that you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, And you thought, you know what? I got a lot of inconsistencies and moreover, I just know I'm sinful. Then join the club. (laughs) But the beauty of our faith is not that we become these perfect beings who will never screw up again, but that we serve a God who has rescued us. And if you would like to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer like this or something like this with me now or even in the next few minutes as we prepare to remember and believe. God, I need you to be my one God. Nothing before you, nothing behind you, just my principle number one. God, I pray 
that you would clean me up. Because if I'm going to be honest, I'm, I'm so gross, and I know it. I'm full of sin, and I dislike it, and it's painful. And I know that I'm a sinner, and I know the only way to be rescued from my sin is to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ that we recognize today. And so God, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I recognize that he died on the cross and raised again so that I could live. And I'm going to ask in this moment, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can have the ability and the power and the authority to live this life and this commitment out every day of my life. We declare these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more Pipeline Church content, visit pipeline.church or download the Pipeline Church mobile app. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe and share. Pipeline Church podcast is available wherever you love to listen.